Have you hired somebody in your business before and felt burned because it didn't work out? Michael did, and it cost him $60,000. In this episode, we explore the hiring and leadership insights gained from the costly mistake and how the mistake he made six years ago informs his approach to hiring and building his team today. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Mike is the owner of Solid, a creative design and marketing agency that provides website design and marketing services like strategy, SEO, content marketing, and reputation management on a retained basis. His team of five full-time staff and contractors excel at providing creative ideation and taking ideation through to full execution for their clients. Solid has a specialty for serving boutique hotels, and though not limited to this industry, they have established a reputation in it. Mike shares what he would do to avoid the $60,000 hiring mistake he made, the leadership lessons he learned, and how they rebounded from losing over $250,000 in four days in the COVID pandemic. Hi, Mike. It's so good to have you here. Tell us, how did you start your agency? Well, I, I start, I've been doing this since I was 14 or 15 years old. So I first learned design, you know, using um, probably a pirated version of Adobe Photoshop. Sorry, Adobe. I pay for it now. Um, but, uh, I started designing, I started getting into topography. Um, then I started getting into like web, web programming and making simple websites and stuff like that. And that was all when I was still in, you know, high school and then, you know, leaving high school, did some post-secondary and eventually found myself working at some small kind of web shops. Uh, enjoyed that until I got, you know, what I would consider a, a big opportunity at a, at a proper agency. And that was working with Critical Mass here in Calgary. And that was really what opened the doors for me in a really big way. Because when I was working there, yeah, I, I got a job there as a web developer doing programming and, and, and tasks like that. But when I was there, I, I swear, I tried to have lunch with a different person every day. I wanted to understand like, you're a marketing scientist. What the heck is that? You know, you're a, you're a planner, you're a designer, you're a creative director, you're a, a chief technical officer. And so I, I just, I spent my time there trying to understand how do you make a multi-million dollar website? You know, I, I was working on Rolex.com and, Mercedes-Benz USA and 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 different projects for really really big clients like that and I was trying to figure out like okay here's what I know over here about making websites for like small businesses and then here's what critical mass is doing making these massive websites and digital infrastructure for these big companies and I, I wanted to understand what the difference was Mike what happened after you left critical mass so 
I had, I've been doing lots of, you know, side work and this and that, um, during my, during, during my time kind of learning in that world. And really I started to immediately kind of just freelance. I had my own company, Mike, Mike Thai Inc. Ooh. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I just had some fun, did a, did a lot of different local work and, and slowly started to kind of climb that ladder in terms of what we could bill and what I, or sorry, what I could bill and what I was capable of. And then I met Heath. And she's she's still my business partner today, and we started Solid. And so Solid was kind of born of um, just really what the name says, wanting to be this solid presence for the clients that we had the opportunity to work with. And you know, we weren't really interested in kind of turn and burn work where you know you've got a new project every week or month or quarter, and once it's done, you don't really talk to them again. Um, I always feel like there's a lot of money to be made. Um, if you can successfully manage long-term relationships. And so, and so solid was born. And then we just kind of slowly on organ and organically grew over the years. Um, our first employee was Graham, who's still with us today, and he's kind of the lead developer uh, for the company. And and so we kind of formed the 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 trio between Heath, Graham, and myself, where I handled people and ideas and the story and like the, the written and visual component of things. And then I infused Heath with all that information uh, where she kind of worked on the topography and the colors and how do we visualize that story and take that photography and video and different things and, and utilize it. And then, and then Graham was the third component of that where he would then take that and make that work on the web. How many clients did you have in your business before you knew it was time to hire? Too many. So I think right now, and we're trying to kind of pare it down because we don't want to be this massive company. Right now, we manage like 77 or so websites uh, with a team of five. And, and so then at the time, I think we had like 20 or 30 around the time that we hired Graham. And, and a lot of those clients were kind of like a la carte or you know they would call us and we would bill hourly when they needed stuff. And we didn't have a lot of a focus on having like, a, let's say a retainer business where we have a certain like minimum billings coming from that client every year. When did your retained business come into play? So retained business came into play probably around five years ago. And my goal was that I kind of had this vision for the company where a lot of our revenue was coming from like fixed fixed sources so pay us for a website fixed cost boom it's done you know pay us for doing some design uh, designing a, a booth for a, a trade show you know fixed cost it's done um, and the challenge was it was really really hard to look into the future it was really really hard to know where we're going to be 6 months or 12 months from now even though we were always busy you know i'm a i'm a careful guy and there was always that concern. What if what if there isn't work three or four months from now? But then we noticed that our hosting revenue and and we would manage a lot of things for our clients, their website hosting and backups and their you know topography licenses for fonts and stuff like that. And we noticed that as we had more clients, our we we had like this base of like forty or fifty thousand dollars a year that we'd always be getting for doing, you know, website basic website management and stuff like that. And that kind of opened my eyes to what how could we transition into doing more things based around a retainer where that client could then kind of budget 
over the year, instead of hiring an employee, they they look at us as a, a built-in kind of investment to what they need on an ongoing basis. And then we and then we slowly but surely started to dip a toe into that. I'm pretty sure that our first retainers were were horrible for us and amazing for our clients from a revenue point of view. But we learned and we kept track of our kept an eye on the time investment that we spent on those things. And you know, and now retainers are probably, I don't know, 70 to 80% of, of our revenue. When we first connected, you shared a story with me about your first two hires and a $60,000 mistake that you made. Let's dig into that because there are so many learnings that others can take away from this. Give us some background on that. I think it was our, our third or fourth year. We had a really good year and I'm looking at the bank account and we've got like $70,000 and our taxes are paid and we're paid. And it's like, what, what, how, how does this, like, it was confusing. Like, okay. You know, like we didn't really have financial planning. It was just like, all I had been doing was GST was 5% here in Alberta. We didn't have like a PST at all. Then I estimated 15 to 16% for taxes. And so every single time we got a check, I would just deposit 25% of that check into another bank account. And that was like, saving. And so it and then it turned out with write-offs and other things that we ended up with yeah, like $75,000 in the bank that was like ours. Like, you know, we so after immediately taking a small bonus for myself and my business partner, we decided that we needed to get some more help, you know. Um I learned something really awesome from one of my my first mentors um and it it was a really simple rule. And that rule was hire around the things that you're not good at. Don't build a team around yourself of people who are good at the same things you are. Hire based on where your weaknesses are. And that's always stuck with me. And so the biggest weakness for me was that I needed someone to help with kind of keeping all the balls in the air. My team knows that I'm really big on analogies. And so one of my analogies is like sometimes I feel like a golden retriever that's trying to carry like eight balls in its mouth. And you pick up and then, but you can only get so many. And eventually, you know, one's always going to fall out when you try to pick up the next. So I needed someone to help kind of keep balls in the air in terms of what we were doing. And then, and then the second component to that is that, you know, I have to work really hard to be like the numbers money guy. It doesn't come naturally to me. So I've had to work, work hard to stay on top of it and work hard to remember to do it because I'll always try to find something better to do. And so those are the two roles we went after. We went after, a kind of like a facilitator, project coordinator kind of role. And then we, and then I went after someone to help make sure that invoices were out, customers were followed up on, checks were deposited, mail was picked up, you know, and, and kind of like, you know, what, what is now an, an operations role or an operations manager. But at the time I was so green that I, I didn't have names for any of these things. How did the big mistake come along? So I focused really hard on finding those people. I found two incredible people. And, you know, in those days, you know, there's still, we're still really small companies. So you, you hiring is kind of like convincing them <laughs> in, in a certain way. Like they, they, you know, yeah, you, you know, people need to feel confident when they're, you know, signing on to work with you and be on your team and be an employee. And so I, I found two fantastic people who, who really could do everything that I wanted, who were engaged and were excited and just amazing. And, and so we kind of, we just dove in, we got, we got underway and there were a lot of positive things 
that happened um, immediately just in terms of having more free time. But then kind of cracks started to form and things didn't happen and people weren't fulfilling expectations that I had. And what ended up happening was a failure on leadership on my part. And so I spent all this time finding these these amazing people to join our team, jumped through all the hoops of figuring out hiring and figuring out how do we grow things and and you know add them in and and make everything happen. And then and then I just thought we'd be fine. Like everything would just everything would just kind of fall into place because I had put all this work finding and 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 getting people going. And so my failure in leadership came from the fact that I didn't account for actually leading them, actually helping them understand what my expectations were at any given moment and kind of keeping that moving. What do you think was missing in your leadership to support the new hires? Well, first and foremost, experience. I had never I had never hired, you know, I had never had more than like we hired Graham who was a programmer before that. That was the first time I ever hired anybody. And his role was really quite set for him. You know, it was programming. I couldn't do it anymore because I needed to work on sales and growing the business. And so his role was super well defined. But the the operations role and the and the coordination role, they were incredibly challenging because they were kind of woven in with stuff that I was already doing. And, and so it wasn't this clear, like giving someone a book, here you go now go and succeed. They had to interact with me on a day-to-day basis. And I had to pull apart the, the way that I was doing stuff before to make sure that I could set them up for success. And that's really where things fell apart as I just had no experience with doing that. I didn't do a great job of it. And then they started to kind of get frustrated because there was there was just conflict that no one could quite put a finger on where it was coming from. And, and and it really ultimately came down from the fact that I didn't take the time to look at their roles and help them define their roles as, as they actually were working within the business. And then everything kind of blew up in my face. Do you feel that in hindsight, looking back, that having a organizational chart would have helped so that you could better define the roles and know how to step out of your role? Absolutely. Like that, that's one of the things, uh, there's probably many things that, that, that would have made the difference. But I think, but even just having a really detailed job description, you know, in my experience, like a job description was like some weird thing they did in corporate, <laughs> um, but it's, they're actually really handy, it yeah. turns out. <laughs> so like I, I, I had an idea of what I wanted from them, but I had done a really poor job of like fully articulating what my expectations were and how I was going to set them up for success, how I was going to check in with them. And I was a, I was a really green leader. I had a lot of desire to be a, a great person to work with, a great boss, I suppose you could say. But I had, I, you know, looking back on it now, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And what's changed since then? That was 10 years ago, five years ago? Probably like eight, eight, seven, seven or eight years ago, maybe. A, A lot, you know, I've changed and matured and developed as a person. And I've had a lot more time to learn how to be a leader. I've invested in coaching and invested in bettering myself as a leader, not just as a creator or designer, but but leadership is incredibly hard. And you 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 kind of have to be the person with the answers. And if you don't if if you don't have the answers, you have to be the person who 
communicates that you don't have them and, and engages the team to try to solve problems. And so, so, you know, now I look, I look, I look upon it and, you know, if I could have, if I, if I could redo it, I would have a, a better definition of what their expectations were. I would spend more time with them, walking them through like the way I did things and then allowing them to bring their own experience into kind of the, the melting pot of this growing business at the time. And, and I, I just did none of those things. I just kind of assumed. And, th- and those assumptions cost me a lot of money. <laughs> but looking back on it, I'm not, I'm not actually sad about it. I, f- I feel like it was one of the best investment-based mistakes I ever made. I think one of the challenges that I see small business owners bump up against when they start hiring is, like you mentioned, they don't develop the job description, but they also don't consider adding the key performance indicators or KPIs into the job description. And that means that when they bring someone in, that person doesn't know truly what their goalpost is. And so they're left flailing a little bit. And it sounds like over the years, what you've learned is that when you bring someone in, you as the leader, it's important to set the KPIs for them so they have a goalpost to head towards. They know what their goals are. Absolutely. You know, defining those points. I actually use KPIs to show how someone's role changes within the company. Like, okay, hey, you're making X amount now. You know, we're we're not a giant company. Money doesn't kind of fall from the trees. So in order for your role to grow and your salary to grow within the business, like here are the targets that we need to go. And here's how that relates to kind of what you're doing day in and day out within the business. And and I'm by no means perfect at that. You know, if anyone in my team here is listening to this, they'll probably be like, oh, you got a ways to go. But and I and I do. But I think the first step is kind of recognizing it. The second step's working on it. And as as long as you've got kind of the the rudimentary tools and you just keep building and and I, I think that brings another really critical lesson for me is I have to create the time for this. My I, I think the biggest mistake overall, if there was, if there was one, was that I didn't create additional time for myself to manage my people. I thought that I would be able to hire and they'd just kind of fall in line and everything would be fine. And I would just have this abundance of time. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that, yeah, I'm going to save time. I'm going to have more time to focus on other things. But if I don't create time to set my team up for success, to spend time with them, then you're just you're just you're just waiting for everything to to explode in your face. Most business owners I know move at the speed of light. They're go, go, go. And the idea of slowing down to train people isn't instinctual. There's almost an expectation that people can naturally jump in and take off in the role. I think that while great team members are able to anticipate needs, training is not a nice to have, but a must have for someone to excel. Mike, tell me what happened to those first two hires. Oh, by the summer they were gone. So the 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 person who came in to help kind of coordinate and facilitate, keep those balls in the air, she was kind of gone within like three or four months. And you know what? She was incredible, tenacious, such an privilege to work with her. I'm I'm surprised she didn't leave sooner. Like like looking looking back upon it now. And so I, I was super sad and I was really angry too when that happened. And I look back on it now and I know that it was a hundred percent a situation of my doing. But at the time it was just really confusing for me because I have the intent, I have the will, I have the passion, I have I'm I'm trying to be a really good person, you know, a good boss, like not a not a bad one. And yet everything kind of fell apart. And so in in my first reaction was to say, like, well, what's wrong with you? 
why are you're not the person I thought you were? And I look upon that now and I feel almost embarrassed for thinking that because I, I reacted too quickly to what wasn't kind of going my way. And then the second person was kind of gone probably within 10, 10 months. And he, he was kind of more on the operations side. And so I really kind of came to, to count on like, having checks deposited and having all this stuff and like invoices sent out, but we just weren't gelling. And I think that, I think that my, the, the first person leaving and the failure from that really kind of upset me in a way that I wasn't almost mature enough to deal with at the time. And that kind of poisoned the well for the other relationship. I, I, I feel like if I was who I am now going back then, I would have regrouped from the first failure and the, 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 the coordinator leaving and then redoubled my efforts to improve things with the operations person. Cause, cause that could have been maintained, but I kind of just shut off. Like I almost, I hate to say it, but I almost kind of gave up a little bit. And then that caused, that caused that relationship to kind of slowly degrade to the point where I just, like, I, I think I was like, I was super emotional when I, I let him go. Cause the first person left, I had to let go of the second person. I had never done that before either. And Oh, is that a terrible feeling uh, to have to have that challenging conversation with a person then, you, you know, and, and you don't want to ruin anyone's day. Learning to lead others, having difficult conversations and letting people go. It teaches us important lessons about ourselves and the best leaders are the ones who are able to see their own weaknesses and grow from there. Flash forward to now, tell us how you hire and train your team members. Okay. So the first goal is to define the outcome. I want to know, okay, we need a role. You know, right now we're thinking about hiring a full-time writer because we, we, we have to do enough writing that, that it kind of makes sense to kind of bring someone in for that role. And so it's not uh, the old me would have just been like, okay, let's go find that perfect person. And let's go find that, like that fit where they just kind of dock in and, and we don't look back. So that's, that's uh, the overly optimistic side of me. But the first goal is, is to, to pause and to actually really reflect on is, is this what we actually need? Or is this something that's going to help me now, but I'm not thinking about six, 12 or 24 months from now. And so I, I slow down right away. And then I, I try to document exactly how that person is going to fit into the organization. And from there, usually after a couple of days or a week of like mulling it over in the back of my mind, then I, I kind of do another check-in and then it's, and then, then it's kind of decision time. Is this a good idea or is it, is it not? And if we resolve that, okay, this is a thing where we want to hire somebody, we will then, you know, type up a job description. We'll actually even almost do like a little mini brief for like, what is this person's first five projects going to be or first three projects going to be? And how are we going to have to make sure that we give them more time because they're brand new to the, to this team and to this company and to our clients. Um, so again, always the question, how are we going to set them up for success? So defining their first projects, defining their role as a whole. Another really key thing for me is leave space for expansion because there's what I think it's going to be. There's what other members of my team think it's going to be. And then there's what's really going to happen. And if you, if you make a job description that's too tight and there's no room for expansion or contraction or movement of what that role might be, it, it could still kind of blow up on you because things change and people bring new dynamics into the existing culture. And so you have to account for a little bit of wiggle room and, and, and frequently we'll hire someone and they'll come in 
And I always say there's their primary role and then there's like secondary roles. And everybody has the thing that they they focus on, but then there's other stuff that that eventually that that team member was uh, they're going to do is kind of like satellite roles or secondary roles. Aaron on my team, for example, he's the content creator. He's going out and doing photo shoots and creative video shoots, all kinds of different content creation. But and that and that's what he was hired for. But at the same point in time, I now count on him to build the shoot plans and the shot lists and interact with me and and to interact with. The, the client to make sure that when we show up for that final, this is, you know, making it happen photo shoot, that there's no question marks and that everybody knows what the expectations of that are. That was never in his original job description, but it's something that I count on him for. And that's, you have to leave room for those things to be tacked on. What's working right now to inspire your team? COVID makes that that answer a little bit more challenging. When everything came down, I think we lost, you know, I don't know, somewhere between quarter million and half a million in like four days. And we had all of 2020 mapped out for the first time. I had done a bunch of business coaching. All of 2020 was mapped out. We had projects and we were really going to focus on like making some changes to the business now that we had the core team that we need to, needed to sustain it. Then COVID took place and it was like, oh my gosh, what's happening and how are we going to adapt to this? And, and a lot of kind of really quick pivots. But what's working is that I made a decision. And the decision that I made, and I I have these moments of clarity sometimes, and I looked at 2020, and you know, this was you know, March maybe, and I just decided that the year was essentially a wash. Um, not from like a work point of view or a team point of view, but I knew that it was gonna be a struggle. And I knew that there, you know, that anything that I was walking into 2020 expecting probably wasn't going to happen the way that I had envisioned it and that there's going to be some other bumps along the road, you know, summer, fall, winter, that kind of thing. And so I just decided to prioritize all of our energy within the business to mental health, to be happy, to be stable and to have feelings of of kind of security. So I resolved not to kind of internalize any of my fears or concerns. We, we turned into the almost like a little council and every day we, we, we met and we talked about the work that we were doing. We went back to the basics and we just focused on coming through the year, not totally overwhelmed. And because I knew that especially like we just had a team member, Aaron, who had our first like company baby, a beautiful boy named Nolan. And, um, and so Aaron here, he's, you know, loves what he does with us, but now he's got a family. You know, and we had we had other other people who with 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 family challenges and mobility challenges and and all kinds of different things that COVID kind of stirred up, and and so I knew that that everyone on the team was probably going to in some way have less bandwidth because of the uncertainty kind of circling around, and so so we kind of took it easy instead of putting our foot on the gas. We kind of eased up a little bit. We focused on taking care of the clients that we had. We didn't have a big focus on sales, although we did, we did, you know, sell that year. We just weren't out there looking for it. You know, we relied more on our referral pipeline. And then we focused again on the clients that we had. How do we serve them? How do we get resources in front of them? How do we help them if if they were either struggling to keep up with, you know, having to pivot to delivery? That was some of them. Others, like some of our hotel clients, went from, you know, 10% vacancy or 5% vacancy to 95% vacancy. And so, you know, we actually preempted 
talks with a lot of the clients that were negatively impacted by COVID by drastically reducing our fees, but we came to them. So we came to them and said, here's our proposition. We know that you're suffering. And if you're suffering, we're suffering because I'm not in a, I'm not in this relationship for 2020. I'm in this relationship for 2020 to 2026. And so a lot of those clients really appreciated that. And we're, we're like the only vendor left standing with some of our clients because of how we approach that. That those, those I think would be the biggest successes for me. I also want to know what isn't working with your team right now. Oof, I love to talk about what's not working. So the team dynamic has changed. I was thinking about that this, this weekend. Um, and a lot of my spare moments is looking at how our team dynamics have changed. Um, some, some in certain, in certain ways for the better, you know, trusting one another to, to, to get certain jobs done and whatnot, but certain, in certain ways for, for the worse collaboration is more challenging when everything's always remote. There's something about getting some people together to work on a problem or talk or, you know, have, have a drink and, and do some strategy or have some pizza together at the office and, 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 and try to crack a problem or, or to think abstractly. It's, it's weird when you're always in the same environment and that environment it's your, because it's your house, it never changes. And so really like the conversations that you have changed and the people that you see on your computer monitor might change. But at the same time, you're always in a place that has like, that kind of feels the same. It's like a neutral energy. And I feel like you need to have a broader sense of experience when you're creating and when a, te- a team like ours, you know, does its best work. And so we have to work a little harder to get our best work. Um, but then also people, people kind of subtly change when all they do is stay at home. And so that, those are some of my worries, you know, where I want to make sure that I can try to set things up in a great way or, or, or try to help, help the, the team dynamic be, be maintained. And then also when, when things start to, to open up and, and when, we look at like, you know, returning to an office environment, like what does that look like? Currently it's a blended model for me. So, you know, like maybe two or three days at the office or two and two or three days at home. So like two and two with one, that's your choice or something like that we've been working on because there's something nice about being able to just put your head down and do the work and not have to worry about it being interrupted or people needing to talk to you. And you can control that when you're at home, but you also need to be around people, I think, in terms of you know growing as a person. Um, so that's that's one of the big challenges that that we've faced, and and I think like okay, the the dirty the dirty challenge or like the really the one that makes me feel truly uncomfortable talking about is our struggle right now is is a battle with consistency. I've always said to my team that whatever you do, do it consistently. I've worked for amazing companies before I started my own. And they always, the, the, the secret to them being amazing was that they consistently were amazing. I've also worked for some pretty crap companies in the past, but you want to know what? They were consistently bad. <laughs> um, and and, and, and as, as long as you can maintain consistency, I think you'll always you'll always have an audience, <laughs> even you know, good good or bad. Mike, what isn't consistent right now? So th- the consistency just comes to being spread a little bit thin. Um, so we know our team needs to kind of continue to grow and evolve, but we're hesitant to introduce any any new hiring or growth right now during COVID. Although some new programs from the provincial federal government just came out about rehiring. So like there's, there's the silver lining to all this, but, but yeah, we're, we're, we're spread a little bit thin. 
and and I can see in my mind's eye the the quality and the level of work that I know that we're capable of. And on a good days, we're there, but on other days, we're not. And that's where that consistency challenge is for me, is I always am aiming to be the best version of myself to produce the best work that I know we're capable of producing and to ask for the best that I know my team is able to give. And it's just not, it's not where I know it can be. And, and so the, the challenge for me is how do I get objectivity about, about this? Because it's all, it's a lot of little small finicky things. It's not just like one dragon that I have to go fight. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a hundred, it's a hundred little ones. And so, and so, yeah, that's really where, where I, I am right now is being patient, not overreacting and kind of using frustration or, or becoming angry at something. But then also I, I need to chart a really good course forward where we can consistently deliver the level that I know we, not just we need to, but I expect of, of myself and of the company, you know, but w- without the fight right now, I feel like to, to maintain that I have to fight so hard and it's burning, burning me out. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Before we press record today, you share that business is starting to pick up. You're getting inbound requests and three to four new business inquiries a week. When COVID had hit, your business had a $250,000 loss. Over the last two years, you've had to absorb that loss. How did that look like in your business? It actually went incredibly well. If I'm being 100% <laughs> honest with you, we took ego out of the equation. Um, we focused on the day-to-day and the little things in the times of the most struggle. And then we, we, we were just patient and that patience paid off, allowing us to pivot and help other types of businesses that were, that had become busier during COVID. And we were able to, to kind of slowly claw, claw that revenue back. And now we're we're pretty much at the same position that we started 2020 in, which is a really good position. It's different than than the prior year. And a lot of my plans coming into 2020 at the beginning of 2020 are very different from where they are now. But I, you know, uh, trying to look on the bright side of it, I, I think we're better for it. Did you have to let anyone go when you had that loss? Not a soul. Yay. <laughs> yeah, no, I was so uh, I was trying to I was trying to play it cool. Um I was <laughs> I was so stoked to not have to to not have to even think about that. And we had plans for it and we knew what we were going to do and how. Uh, we did have one kind of part-time person uh, and she had a couple of kids and with the kids out of school, she she um kind of stepped away for a little bit, but that was like the closest that we came to and that was amicable because she didn't have time for us and she needed to look after her kids and I get that. And so yeah, we didn't we didn't have any any layoffs. Um, we used the federal wage subsidy and some of the other small programs and and then we just yeah, we just really focused on on day to day and uh, and really clear communication with our clients like okay, we're going to do this work from you. I need you to be a hundred percent with me. Are we getting paid for this work right away? Or are you going to pay me in like a couple months if everything works out? And like, we're still going to take care of you. I'm not going to leave you high and dry, but I need to be able to control my cash flow. And, and that transparency, even with my clients paid off because everyone was honest and, and we were able to bring that honesty out. And so, and then we just, and we, when we just planned for everything, we knew when money was coming in and it, and it, and it turned out better than I thought. 
Before we get back to the episode, I want to invite you to the free Strategic Connections Roundtable, where creatives, consultants, and service-based business owners can meet new business connections without the awkwardness of traditional networking. It's a curated experience where the group fit is curated so that connections and conversations thrive. That means that every month, a Strategic Connections Roundtable will bring together a group of service-based business owners in similar stages of business who can benefit from knowing each other so that you can make connections easier, share what your business offers, discover new resources, and have an opportunity to mastermind a challenge. Save your free seat at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable. Above all, I care about genuine connections and authentic relationships in business. If that's you, check out the roundtable and curated networking experience today. You can get all the details and onto the free invite list over at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable or click on the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. Mike, you also mentioned that BizDev is now stirring to pick up. <laughs> Most people would be excited by that. Can you, can you, can you share more about uh, what kind of marketing you've done in, during this time? And has that played a role in business picking up? The marketing that I've done is being useful for like, the last 10 years and and building up a, a bit of a name for us. So yeah, we haven't really done much. Um, the, the, the majority of the marketing I do is actually on different like Slack groups. So I'll be part of, you know, in Calgary, there's a co-working space called Work Nicer and it's got a, it's got a Slack group. And I, I just, I just try to be really, really helpful when anyone asks a question that's in my lane. And then that kind of makes me known to people. And then a lot of times those people out of appreciation or memory or whatever will just kind of send something my way. And it, and and frequently they end up to be you know great relationships and great opportunities. So I do that in a few different areas and I just try to help. Uh, sometimes we even get people who reach out who just need help with like a really small thing that, you know, a technical issue or something that 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 they just don't understand. And we'll, again, we'll just help them. I, I look at it as like planting seeds in the ground. And to our good fortune here in May, some seeds have started that we planted, you know, months and years ago have just, just randomly started to sprout. Um, and that has brought some new opportunities our way, but that's, that's the majority. Um, I think that BizDev is, has changed and will remain changed for some time because people don't, people are really risk adverse right now. And so they're, they're leaning into their networks and like asking friends and colleagues, like who, who, you know, who do you know that can do this or do that? Or this is my problem. Who should I talk to? And I just feel super fortunate that a lot of the times um, someone will say, Hey, you should go talk to Mike and his team over at solid. It's, it's thrilling to, to get to that point. I appreciate you sharing your organic marketing strategy. Mike, can you tell us what keeps you inspired and at your best? Lately, it's been making sure that I get a lot of sleep. I watched a, I watched a, uh, a couple of videos on the, uh, on the importance of sleep. I think I read a book called Sleep or something similar to that. And I, I realized that my I'm like a night owl. I love to stay up late and like think deep thoughts and like sit outside or go for a drive or... Just, just me. Just it's kind of like my alone time. My, my wife calls it mic time, and I still do those things. But getting lots of sleep has allowed me to show up as the person that I want to be more consistently than anything else that I've done. And as long as I get sleep and a little bit of physical activity, things are pretty good. 
you know, we're, we're really choosy about who our clients are. So we don't have a lot of clients that, that are like energy vampires or anything like that. And so, you know, sleep and consistency and just kind of being there every day with the team uh, is, is kind of been what's keeping me going of late. Nice. I'm the opposite of you. I am a morning person. I do my best thinking at like 6 a.m. You're my hero. I want to be like you. So I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's been, uh, yeah, my whole life I've kind of stayed up late. And just in the past probably six months, I've been trying to really make sure that I'm getting, you know, seven and a half to eight and a half quick quality hours of sleep. I know it kind of sounds lame. Um, I guess uh, I, I'm 38 now, so I guess it's the it's the thing that I want to tackle and and get locked down before I, I turn 40. It's not lame at all. I think sleep is what helps us think better. I think without sleep, I would be in constant brain fog. You felt those days where you mm-hmm. have oh, you've had a horrible sleep, and you get up and you have a very important meeting, and you can't even think straight because like you barely had any shut eye. But yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that we're if we're like if we're night owls and we're naturally inclined to being a night out, it's really difficult to become a morning person. I say that because my sister is naturally a night person, and I'm naturally a morning person. And as hard as she's ever tried, it just doesn't work for her. So I, I will say this. I'm not the big think morning person. With with that said, sometimes, you know, thoughts thoughts will will come. But what I try to do is I try to look at my life in terms of like when are like the blocks of time that are set up for different things. So for me, if I go to bed at a, at a reasonable hour and I get a good night's sleep and I, let's say I wake up at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, those are the times when I'll, I'll sit down and just do some processing, maybe some meditation. I try to do like go out, even just go for a walk. Like if I, if I don't feel like working out or something, I'll just go for a walk. And I, I look at it as my time to kind of warm up the engine. I recognize that I'm, I'm a momentum-based thinker so if I set up my early day to kind of get that engine nice and warm, you know, have have a I love making coffee, like I take like huge amounts of time to to, to make like really really nice like uh traditional cappuccinos with latte art and fun stuff like that. Um so I I I, t- I take my time, I have my different meditations like making coffee, you know, sitting, thinking, walking. And then if I do that later in the day when I kind of call upon my brain to to do different things whether it's strategy work or execution work or working working on on development within my team and and supporting them I'm just like prime for it versus if I just wake up and I just try to get going I know that that I'm never going to be my my best self doing that consistently it sounds like you know your rhythm really well the benefit of getting of of getting older I never used to pay attention to stuff like that in my 20s and and slowly but surely it's it's become important because how I think has changed. I used to just be this limitless spring of ideas when I was younger, but now I'm more thoughtful and deliberate and so I have to change my approach to maximize who who I am in 2021, not who I was in, you know, 2010. When you're in your 20s, when I was in my 20s, I could pull back-to-back all-nighters and oh, still Oh, I miss it. Right? <laughs> I miss right. it so much. I was such a hard worker and I, and I am, I am still a hard worker, but oh man, it was so cool to be able to be like invincible and still, <laughs> and still be like a smart person. 
and think that it's going to last forever. I think when you're in your 20s, you think I'm always going to be this person who's going to do back-to-back nights and be totally awesome and on top of it. And then you get older and you realize one night of poor sleep and it's like, oh, brain fog. Yeah, or it's like now it's like like – you know, I break down or like I have like an ice cream or something and then I like and then I have bad sleep and then I pay for it in a multitude of ways. So, yeah, it's 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 an interesting challenge for sure. Mike, it's so good to get to know you. Can you share with people where they can find you online? Absolutely. So we're on pretty much all the social networks as um, Hey Solid, H-E-Y-S-O-L-I-D. And then I'm personally on pretty much all the social media networks as Mike Tai, M-I-K-E-T-I-G-H-E. And we are currently working to be way more active on social. We have basically been the the the, comp, the the cobbler shoes metaphor we we do everything for our clients but don't do a ton for ourselves but but yeah 2021 2022 is about kind of stepping out of that starting to share more of 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 the ideas and different things going on within solid and it'd be great to uh to meet some new people meet some new friends on there thank you so much absolutely thank you Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.